So, uh, is there sound coming through? So, how about now? You can hear me back there? The person through the listening device can hear me, but I don't think anyone else can. Is the microphone working? That one is? Yeah, how about now? No? Okay. I don't know what else to do. If I speak more loudly... Okay, now it's coming through. Okay. So this is probably about the time that I might say that one of the opportunities we have on retreat is to really slow down, to take our time, not really anywhere to go or much to do. Uh, And I will give you that encouragement, but I suggest that perhaps we do that after the cell phone ritual so we can get through the ritual in a speedy yet mindful manner. And so what I'm gonna invite you to do is to line up single file in the center aisle with your device. You can begin to do that now. And then you'll be invited to uh, place the device into the basket, which will be held for safekeeping. I will ring the bell, and then you can return to your seat by moving through the outer aisle. And if, and if you're sorry, if you're not if you're not ready to tender your device, you could still make a ritual commitment to minimizing its use. Bhadang, 
So one announcement uh, before the instructions is the, the question basket, I'm told, uh, that, that the question basket so that, uh, is on the table right outside the, these doors. So that uh, if you have questions that you would hope to have addressed about the instruction or in the Dharma talks or in the question period, um, if you put those in uh, the basket, then we can reflect on them. And try to do that. Encourage us to recollect that we have this wonderful opportunity to be in a place consecrated, dedicated for practice that activity that dissolves obstructions and reveals the luminous, peaceful, true nature that is inherent at the core of our experience. So say the wise ones. We have the good fortune to be in a place where there's all sorts of supports allowing, offering us this opportunity. (laughs) As one stops, slows down, as Gula was saying, undigested stuff appears 
business. Not easy. And just encourage us to be really patient with ourselves and each other in this process as we metabolize. Awareness has this mysterious capacity, especially awareness that is not coercive, not bullying, Awareness that's patient, kind, honest, sincere, that sort of presence with our experience has this mysterious capacity to metabolize, to transmute karmic material. The undigested exhaustion, undigested restlessness, unacknowledged compulsive tendencies the distractions, the griefs, the hopeless sense of it's too much. We began on auspicious occasion, the full moon, and began with this conscious setting of our intention, our intentionality, in alignment with the streams of blessings, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, making gift to our intention not to harm, not to just take what isn't offered. This space has been offered. This food that's coming to us has been offered. That in that refraining from exploitation, from false speech, and here we're even undertaking a conscious renunciation in our noble silence for the sake of listening inwardly. These precepts, remember, the streams of offering, just that much already with our commitment. Immeasurable beings around us can breathe more easily because we're not a threat offering immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, oppression. That's the foundation of the path, what's called a sila, or ethical, virtuous restraint, which generates auspicious blessing, energy, which little by little frees us from remorse when we're living virtuously. We're not continuously saying and doing things that cause a lot of repercussion. 
now we have the opportunity to cultivate this middle part of the path, which is challenging. What the Buddha called his path to awakening, sometimes called the Eightfold Path, is he sometimes discerned it in three dimensions, three sections. This foundation, the sila, virtuous restraint, the precepts. Middle part of the path, samadhi. Sometimes translated as concentration. I don't like that word so much because of the connotation in English. Sometimes concentrated implies a narrowing, even a scrunching up. But within the English word concentration is the notion of concentric. I quite like that. Concentric circles. The idea of centered. Hmm, That's a nice. Gathered. Collected. Plugged in. Established. In presence. These are some translations for samadhi. This is the meditative aspect of the path that we'll be working on. The fruition of the path, the last section, when the Buddha was talking about how this journey home to our true nature unfolds, he called this liberating dimension of the path called panya, wisdom seeing things the way they are. Because of the nature of language, sometimes journeying from suffering to the ending of suffering, from distress to peace, sounds like we're going somewhere. It's the nature of language. But in in actuality, this path's not going somewhere else. We're little by little learning how to arrive where we've always already been. This most wondrous realization that the Buddha had after all his struggle is realizing that peace, the true nature, is timelessly here already. It's here. And now, in our chanting, we will be, we haven't done that chant yet. Tomorrow we'll start on it. These qualities of the triple jewel and the qualities of the Dharma, the true nature of things, this timeless, peaceful, true nature, the Buddha says, Sanditiko, it's always here and now. Even with my sore back, Kitty Sorrow? Yeah, with a sore back. You sure about that? Pretty sure. Worry. If worry is manifesting, when we get caught in worry, we're hypnotized by the thoughts and feeling tones of worry, that that worry is manifesting, vibrating, catching us, arising and ceasing within this dimension that the Buddha said is always here and now. 
timeless, luminous. Buddha said it's even ehipasiko, this next word. Ehi means come, come see. This true nature is inviting us. But sometimes by this notion, we've got to get somewhere. Don't bother me, I'm on my road to Nibbana Mountain. Could you get in the slow lane? I am moving. <laughs> Sometimes we're leaning and we, 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 yes, effort's important, but if the effort, why I'm starting, that's why what's called samaditi, right view or balanced seeing is important. The notion we got to get somewhere else eternally is what's called becoming, where we whatever circumstance, feeling tone, situation we think we've arrived at, then the, that melts, that sound dissolves. In the meditative practice, though, we're learning how to be here and now, mindfully. Be present for an in-breath present for an out-breath, realizing that in-breath begins and ends, arises and ceases. We're excited and bored, discouraged, excited, as we mindfully, kindly, patiently are with these moments of our experience, the wisdom naturally arises. Oh, wow, conditions are impermanent. Wanting them to be permanent is a source of suffering. Our teacher Ajahn Shah said, looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, you're bound to suffer. And these first few days, for many of us, certainly for me, a lot of undigested stress from the world and exhaustion and it's, are not easy feelings to metabolize. But I'm encouraging us to be present and trusting this alchemy of awareness. When samadhi, when presence of mind is established, not just a moment of mindfulness, but when our mindfulness is more naturally flowing and established, then wisdom arises really easily. When the heart is really composed. It's so obvious that sounds, sights, thoughts, so obvious that they're ephemeral. I'm the best. Nobody meditates as good as me. Oh God, look at them. They're all sitting like little Buddhas. And I'm just a mess. When we're composed, those thoughts are 
so obviously ephemeral. When we're composed like water dripping on a cast iron stove that's been heated for hours, the water drops and shh! Another droplet falls on that hot stove. It dissolves so quickly when we're composed. The ephemerality is so obvious. It's not a question of making ourselves let go. When we're composed and see how ephemeral stuff is, the, the notion we can grasp and own and keep is so obvious. There is just letting be. And one notices that which is already here. So it is said, one great master, contemporary of our teacher, Ajahn Chah, a contemporary, one of the great samadhi masters of Thailand, it's called Ajahn Lee Damodaro. He compared the path to a bridge. A bridge. It's like a metaphor over this, the floods, the raging torrents of birth and death and suffering, the near side of the bridge, first pylon on the bank was virtue. In, as the bridge went across the fast-flowing river, the central pylon is the middle of the path samadhi. On the far side where there's peace, wisdom. This master said actually the beginning and the end of the path are more easy, more straightforward. Virtue is challenging, they're all challenging, but it's more tangible to learn to give up, not harming to make a gesture, a beautiful gesture, renouncing our devices to help. Similarly, wisdom actually is quite dimensions of it, relatively or easy. Once the mind is concentrated, A concentrated mind has the nature, said the Buddha, to see things the way they are. Wisdom arises. Ajahn Lee said that central part of the path is most challenging. That meditative work. Because we're driving this pylon down through the fast-flowing current. The currents. What are the currents? Our hopes. When will the insights come? Our dreads. God, those first three days are hell. Can't we just go to day four? <laughs> I saw just saw a movie about time travel. Can't we just go to... F- if there's any bodhisattvas, they could do my first three days. But dread, restlessness, these torrents, currents, disassociation, just not wanting to feel it, Resentment, how can they be like that in the world? Grief. To in the midst of that flowing nature of thoughts and feelings to establish 
stillness, steadiness, collectedness is challenging. But the Buddha, how fortunate, offered us a path. So we have some practices, as was mentioned some last night, one of the foundations for cultivating this samadhi is mindfulness of the body. Thoughts are quite quick-flowing. The changes of the body are more slow, more steady, something grounding. anchoring about this body. That really helps us stay connected to the way things are. And what we'll be encouraging is the practice the Buddha himself used on the night of his enlightenment, the mindfulness of breathing. Even on the first page of our chanting booklet, we have a little excerpt from that Anapanasati Sutta. Anapana means in and out breathing. Sutta, discourse on in and out breathing. And the when the Buddha was addressing the monks and his community of practitioners, monks, nuns, lay disciples. Because when mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and great benefit. When this mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. When the four foundations of mindfulness are developed and cultivated, they fulfill the seven enlightenment factors. When the seven enlightenment factors are developed and cultivated, they fulfill true knowledge and deliverance. How is this mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit? Here, gone to a forest or the root of a tree or to an empty hut, or to an amazing practice place like this. One sits down, having folded the legs crosswise, keeping the body erect and having established mindfulness in front. Making mindfulness or presence or awareness. In front means it's, it's important. Putting mindfulness to the fore, putting this quality of a refuge What's our refuge? Buddha refuge? Awareness of how it is. Making that important. Having established mindfulness in front or making mindfulness important. Mindful one breathes in, mindful one breathes out. The body, 
all sorts of ways in which we judge bodies, judge our bodies, judge other people's bodies, compare bodies. I like this one, I don't like this one, this one's good, that one's not good. All this conceptual stuff about bodies. That's not the body that the Buddha is talking about. When the Buddha is talking about mindfulness of the body, he's talking about the way we experience the somatic way that sitting here in this hall is manifesting. the elemental. This body, pulled by Mother Earth, it's an earth body. This body, we might conceptually think, my body, your body. (laughs) If this body isn't continually supported by breath, Kill over. Each in-breath we're receiving the gift from the trees. Each out-breath what we breathe out the trees breathe in. This body needs water water, fluid in, fluid out. This body needs food. It's a flow. Buddha's encouraging breathing in long. One understands I breathe in long. Ajahn Chah, our teacher, how he interpreted this, he said it's easy to get caught up in our patternings of where we're going what we're struggling with, lose track of what's happening now. He encouraged a long in-breath, a long conscious out-breath, a few of these as a way of remembering, re-establishing this mindful connection with the body sitting here Long in-breath, receiving that vitalizing principle, prana, the word the Buddha used, pana, tipata, pana, the Pali version of prana, the Sanskrit. It's that vitalizing principle in breath that energizes, gives life. That in-breath, receiving that, letting it bless every cell, letting it brighten the spirit. Even in English, inspire, expire. Breath's connected to spirit. Spirit's connected to breath. To be inspired in its ancient meaning is a divine breathing in. We're inspired and it moves us to be inspired to come on retreat.
mindfulness of the breath, where is that principle that moves and regulates this body. Long in-breath, long out-breath. And on that out-breath, remembering that this body is pulled by Mother Earth, so on the out-breath we align with Mother Earth. Relaxing the forehead, the jaw, the shoulder. Let our axis align with Mother Earth in this little body. When we align with Mother Earth on that out-breath, relaxing. This little body then, when it aligns with Mother Earth, we partake of her deep, immeasurable stability and power. Long in-breath, long out-breath, relaxing, aligning left, right, forward, back. A few long breaths. Also, sometimes our breath gets chronically contracted, anxious, tentative, some long, slow, quiet, relaxing, refreshing and relaxing breaths help us remember that this body is supported by this ocean around us, especially out here, this wonderful center. Ocean of vitality connecting to Mother Earth. Then we can allow ourselves to let our breathing return to its own more natural rhythm. Not, don't worry about figuring out all the factors of enlightenment and this and that and this and that. These first few days, simple. Slow down. Let our body bring us to the present. Long in-breath, long relaxing out-breath, connecting to Mother Earth. Allowing ourselves to be with the somatic experience, the sensations, the feeling tones. As I said, the first few days aren't easy. I was—I probably woke up 20 times last night. Turning over, kidneys were hurting, turning the other way. But I was so grateful to be here. I just did a little mantra. I'll get to that. Just a, a word. It's holding a phrase to remind me not to worry. Just be with the sensations. Breathing in, breathing out. A little mantra in her sounds, I was holding the mantra to Kuan Yin that we chanted this morning. And I just inwardly say, Namo Kuan Chi Yin Pusa. It's the second mantra, uh, I think it's the second mantra owner. But just let it be with the sensations, let it mingle with the breath, reminding me to trust the listening. My other favorite mantra, which we were taught in Thailand when I was a young monk, 
Ajahn Chah taught us? A simple mantra, profound mantra. A mantra, just two syllables, Buddho, B-U-D-D-H-O. It's the name of the Buddha. It means the awakened one. And in that tense, B-U-D-D-H-O, guess who it's talking about? It's, it's, it's a sound, bud, B-U-D-D-H-O. It's from there. The Sanskrit means to open like a flower, bodeti, opens. Bhutto, you can as one breathes in, bud, as one breathes out, to. Or one can breathe in quietly and breathing out, bhutto. Let that sound dissolve, and it reminds one just to rest in that ever-present wakefulness. Don't have to use a mantra, but an important, dare I say, tip. Encouragement in cultivating samadhi is <laughs> what are our thoughts doing? One of the great obstacles to gatherness is this manic mind of ours. Kitty, sorry, I wish I could cut my head off and roll it down the middle aisle like a bowling ball. <laughs> I hear you. But you don't deal with it just by hating thought or getting lost in thought. The Buddha had a term which he called directed thought. It's a certain kind of thought. It's not any old thought. The word he uses is vitaka, V-I-T-A-K-K-A. It just means a thought that reminds you what you're doing. Rather than a big, long essay, well, guess what Bhutto is? A a mantra, rather than thinking the 10,000 thoughts, that doesn't lead to unification. Another word for samadhi is unification, gathered. 10,000 thoughts tends to lead to a lot of complexity and diffraction. A directed thought, even like here, now. What does that do? Here. The thought's there and then it dissolves. Here. Now. You let the thought dissolve. (laughs) That's presence. And then just receive. The thought reminds us, and then we let the jitta, the heart, just receive. The body, the textures. So one can use phrases like here, now, or peacefully I breathe in, peacefully I breathe out. It's a moderation of thought. What do I mean by that? When we just think a whole too much, we just get lost. So... Training our thoughts to be moderate. Moderation means 
we're training thought to, to not just go overboard. We're It's, a, it's a also renunciation, but a beautiful one. So a mantra, the advantage of a mantra, it's still just a directed thought, but it's a sacred thought. It's a thought that very easily reminds you, what's it pointing to? It's pointing to the ground that's always here and now. Remember I said this journey is not going somewhere else? that the Buddha said the timeless true nature is always here and now. True peace is here and now beckoning us. That's the sacred ground of the cosmos that the Buddha called the Tathagata Garbha. He called it the womb, the divine mother. Tathagata means the awakened one. Garbha means womb, means the matrix this, this unmoving, luminous, sacred presence within which all is born and dying, that this morning instruction, how we're feeling, is all coming and going within this matrix, this sacred ground of awareness. Explore with thoughts that just don't run you into lots of discursive stuff. Bhutto, last night when I was waking up 20 times or however many it was, a lot, my stomach wasn't feeling so good. Just my traveling wasn't that much, but it's not easy. But I just let Kuan Yin's name and Bhutto. Let but mingle with the sensations and the thoughts. To, the sound comes and goes and you come right back to presence. So we can use long in-breath and out-breath. Then allow our attention to be with what's called the shorter breath just the sensations of the body, then I encourage you to explore just mingling it with a butoh or with a, a phrase like here now or even let go is beautiful. Let go of trying to get somewhere else. But I say sacred phrase because it's reminding us that we're, there isn't anywhere else. In the most profound sense, we're letting go into what is here. Our refuge, we're deepening our trust that it's, it's important to be with the way things are, the simplicity of Breathing, sitting, feeling what we're feeling. And in a few minutes, I'm going to have Dawn say how we can bring this into the walking meditation. Just keep being with our refuge, being with the sitting, the feeling tones, the walking, the cascading moods that come and go. 
but little by little trusting, allowing all that to be received, experienced within awareness. Trusting that I've seen it happen countless times on the countless retreats I've been on. And I'm so grateful to this mysterious nature that awareness has this capacity to metabolize, clarify, reveal. The beauty of using a a word like butto, butto. It's like a little bubble that's the name of the Buddha. And as it dissolves in that silence before the word and after the word, all we're left is that essence of presence, that essence of awakening. So already I'm so pleased I came and I'm grateful that you have made the effort to come, really encouraging us all to patiently, kindly be with this challenging, metabolizing these first few days, trusting that we are like the trees turning the carbon dioxide into oxygen meditators as we are metabolizing some of the toxicity of our world with kindness, with patience, and transmuting it into presence, understanding, courage. I'd like to invite Dawn to also share with us how this practice can be um, flow into our walking. Thank you, Kitasaro. I'm pleased you're here too. So a few things to note about this other portion of our schedule that is um, listed as walking. There's a bunch of these sessions throughout the day, and the schedule will stay the same more or less for the retreat. So you'll have many opportunities to practice this. And it may not always be appropriate to walk. And so just wanting to note that, and that doesn't mean by any means that suddenly you're unable to practice half of the time, for example. The way I interpret the walking portions of the schedule of retreats is that it's an invitation to integrate what we might learn in our stationary or seated, reclined or standing practice with movement. And some of you already have that opportunity with your yogi jobs, But sometimes, at least when I would 
have my yogi jobs. I'd, I'd always like the kitchen jobs. But you can't move so slowly and mindfully if like the dishes are piling up, for example. And so walking or the walking periods were a time for me to apply the lessons I was learning on the cushion at a pace that was supportive, basically. And another end, some of you might have invisible or visible disabilities or illness, and so walking isn't available to you. It could also be perhaps you're going through some energetic stuff. So more than once already, it was named that um, we might be digesting or metabolizing the news of the world or the news of our lives. And so I've certainly, on retreats, have felt like I was holding so much emotionally that trying to walk also just felt like so much effort. And so if by chance walking isn't available to you, and it's not a, a broad stroke or a blanket statement in the sense that um, I like to think of practice as responsive. And so when I settle into practice, or perhaps when you hear the bell, that signifies the end of the stationary practice, you might check in and ask yourself, like, what would, what would be most supportive for my mindfulness? And I phrase it like that because sometimes if we phrase it as what would be most supportive for my body, I know I get confused with, like, what do I feel like doing? And so it's not necessarily preference because I know when I'm tired, I just I'll go to my room and sleep and wait for the bell for the next sit or something like that. And so it's not necessarily that, but it's like what would support your mindfulness, your cultivation of this quality? And if the response that comes up is not walking, not the physical act of walking, there are still options for you. For example, and I'll be demoing this with my hands, so if your eyes are closed or you're not looking, I'll describe it as well, but you might want to take a look um, to what I'm doing. And you can participate with me as well. But you can place your hands on your thighs, palms down. And this could be done if you're lying down as well. And... Know which hand is your right hand. And begin to turn your right palm up. And this could be at any pace. So you're turning your right palm to face the ceiling. And begin to lift that hand up towards the ceiling. Any height. And so honoring your body. And at some point you decide when, but begin to turn your palm down lower, and eventually replace the hand onto your thigh. I'll, um, you can do the left side or the other side, and I'll continue talking. But as you do this, there's a couple things you can pay attention to. The micro-movements of the body, maybe the air touching your hand, the arm and hand moving through space. Or for some folks that like to use mental noting, you might add labels like turning, lifting, turning, lowering, 
placing. You can finish up your hand and return to stillness for a moment. Thanks for playing, participating. And for some of us, moving our hands and arms isn't available. If you're on a chair, similar, you could simply lift and lower your leg. So those are a couple options. If you do want to play with walking meditation outside, um, a few suggestions. You want to choose a walking path that's about 10 or 15 paces long. And as you're choosing a walking path, it might be a different spot every time. It might be the same spot a lot of times. And just to watch out when that happens, how the mind will say, this is my path. And then to your dismay, if someone else also thinks that that's their path, what comes up in the mind. So just warning of that or disclaimer. So a walking path, 10 or 15 paces long, and you can use like a crack in the ground or rock, a tree to to mark the start and end. And you'll simply walk back and forth. And we'll do a demo in a moment. But just a few notes there is when you're walking, there's no prescribed pace. So it's again, what pace could support your mindfulness? There are times on retreat that I've been anxious and walking slowly exacerbated that anxiety. And so I needed to walk briskly. But there were times where I was feeling pretty calm and collected. And so walking slowly really helped support that. And then, of course, there's the plethora of experiences in between. And so choose a pace that is supportive for you. We'll do a a walking right now. And it might sound funny because it's like, well, I walk all the time. It's like, I know how to do this. And it's it's like, yes, and this is the first time you're doing it right now. (laughs) And so we're going to stand, if that's available to you, if you'd prefer to stay seated because of body stuff, that's fine too. But as you stand, notice if you're End goal is to stand, but instead, can you be aware of all of the movements that it takes for you to stand? And you don't have to do this particularly slowly, but just be aware. And when you do stand, well, there's a whole thing on standing meditation. Maybe we'll do that an, uh, another time, but at least for now, in, in anticipation for walking, we're going to take one or two steps forward, so just pay attention to the obstacles around you to not roll your ankle or anything like that. But knowing that we're going to take a step or two in a moment, just notice if there's an energetic or kinesiological, I can never say that word, but like a physical response, like you know which, which foot you want to start with. And then begin to take one or two steps forward and just notice how the body might need to lean to one side to do that. The knee bends, the heel lifts, the opposite ankle might get shaky, the placing of the foot, the leaning forward the back heel lifting, front ankle shaky. Maybe it's cracking of joints, 
hip stuff. Yeah. And then come back to standing. And in the same way, just take one or two steps back. And this time you might use mental noting instead, if that's the technique you prefer, instead of paying attention to the sensations of the body. And so that's what you're going to be doing. You won't necessarily be walking backwards, but you'll be walking forwards. And then the other, um, I like how Kitasara was hesitant to say the word tip. The other, but I was happy when he didn't say like life hack or something like that. But anyways, the other thing to note is, so you'll walk your 10 or 15 paces and you'll get to your spot that marks the end of your your, your, um, path. A lot of times I see people just think like, well, I'm at the end, I'm going to turn around. And yet that's a moment where we can be really mindful. So to notice stopping, standing, turning, turning, and then continuing to walk again. And for me, when I pay attention and slow down in the transitions, it helps me appreciate transitions more. And I've noticed a little bit in my life that I could appreciate transitions a little bit more as a result too, as opposed to being like, this is useless. Let me skip over this and get to what I'm meant to do, the walking part. So, so yeah, so, you, so that's, that's it. It's basically walking back and forth, stopping, turning, standing, paying attention to all that you can as best you can. And then maybe over the week we might add a few more layers. Maybe not, but there's so much there that can arise already. So enjoy. There's a bell that rings a few minutes before you're due back into the hall for the next stationary or seated practice. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.